0: Philemon this morning. The book of Philemon, right after Tychus. Philemon. As I mentioned before, we're looking at the theme of forgiveness as we journey through this brief book of the Bible. And it's not lost on me that a Book of the Bible is dedicated to the theme of forgiveness. Though it's a brief book of the Bible, it is one of our New Testament letters. And it's all about forgiving and being forgiven and being willing to reconcile with people. The Bible is concerned with forgiveness because the gospel is all about forgiveness. There are 66 books of the Bible in Within those books of the Bible, we have 75 different word pictures that depict forgiveness. Here's a couple word pictures that one author um, listed. It's a list of word pictures, 10 of them, that are based on the Bible. One is to forgive is to turn the key and open the cell door and let a prisoner walk free. Two, uh, to forgive is to write in large letters across a debt nothing owed. Three, to forgive is to pound the gavel in a courtroom and declare not guilty. Four, to forgive is to shoot an arrow so high and so far that it can never be found again. Five, to forgive is to bundle up all the garbage. I can relate to this one. All the garbage and trash and dispose of it, leaving the house clean and fresh. To forgive is to loose the moorings of a ship and release it to the open sea. To forgive is to grant a full pardon to a condemned criminal. To forgive is to relax a stranglehold on a wrestling opponent. To forgive is to sandblast a wall of graffiti, leaving it looking like new. To forgive, number 10, is to smash a clay pot into a thousand pieces so it can never be pieced together again. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is what drives us, it compels us and motivates us to forgive other people. We know that we've been forgiven so much, a debt that we could not repay to a holy and just God who by his grace and mercy forgave us and so we in turn are compelled and softened and opened to forgive others to forgive. What does it mean to forgive? I, I know that a lot of you are wrestling with your own personal scenarios regarding forgiving other people or seeking forgiveness and wanting to be forgiven. Many of you, if not all of you, have some version of a reconciliation story that maybe is still being told. I know that some of you have come to me personally with your scenarios this week. Based on opening Philemon, you've come and said, hey, listen to my scenario. Um, how do I work out the details of reconciling this relationship or that relationship? And I could kind of summarize my, the questions and the answer um, in this way. It's a question. Can I or should I forgive someone who isn't yet repentant? You ever had that question? That's kind of a question that keeps coming up, keeps bubbling to the surface um, as we think this issue through. What if somebody is still in, as I'm perceiving them, in a hard-hearted state, how can I move on from that? Or how do I live my days in an unreconciled relationship, especially since I've been forgiven and I want to forgive? Well... I think it's answered in two ways. First of all, there is a general forgiveness that every Christian should offer automatically. It's a forgiveness where we know we've been forgiven, and so now we are open-heartedly, in a general way, not holding people's sins against them. In other words, the gospel softens our hearts towards other people, and based on the cross, we, we can say, we forgive these people who've done us harm. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I just bring that up because the word forgive there is the Greek word efe, which means to release. It's like setting that ship free, loosing the moorings and watching the ship go out to open ocean. It's not holding someone's sins against them. It's, it's, it's a prayer of Jesus where he prayed on the cross. What? Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, whether or not they were reconciled came down to whether or not they were repentant before a holy God for what they did. However, Jesus was praying open-heartedly, Lord, I forgive them. I'm open. Stephen said the same thing as he was being stoned in Acts chapter 7, being put to death. Ephesians 432 talks about this general forgiveness. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgave you. In other words, because we've been forgiven, our hearts should tenderize towards people, even people who have ought against us still. My um, premise last week again. We're never in a position to not forgive people as Christians. There's no place for being an unforgiving person as a Christian. The second answer to this question, how can I forgive someone who's not repentant, is this. You might forgive them by softening your heart towards people and letting it go and trusting the cross for what they've done against you and just saying, I forgive you. But you might still not be reconciled yet. Okay, if someone's not seeking your forgiveness, if they're not wanting to reconcile with you, you might still be in a state of unreconciliation. Your re- your relationship's not been restored. Peace has not yet been made yet. And that's a sad position to be in, but it's one where you can trust God in general, saying, I forgive them, but we are not yet reconciled. Luke seventeen three. I read this earlier. Jesus said, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. You know what this is a call to? It's simply this. Soften your heart with the gospel. Ask God to soften your heart. We are not keeping record of wrong, 1 Corinthians 13. You're not storing up bitterness applying pebbles in the against column in the relationship as things happen. You're not storing up angst against somebody. You're soft-hearted towards them. You've generally forgiven them, though you're not yet reconciled. But then, if that person comes to you and says, Will you forgive me? You are forgiving them automatically, immediately. You're the prodigal son story, right? The son... He takes the inheritance, he spends it all on lasciviousness living. He's in the the swine pit, you know. He's he's ready to eat the food that's dedicated to the pigs and he's a Jew. This is as grotesque as it as it gets both physically and also religiously. And he comes to his senses. Verse 19 of Luke 15. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. As he as he's realizing that he's come to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, verse 17, but I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And he got up and came to his father. Father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. This is the beautiful story of reconciliation. And his father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. That's the beautiful story of reconciliation. Listen, the reason I read that portion of that parable is, did you notice how open-hearted the father was and how ready the father was to reconcile the relationship? The father had already moved past the fact that he'd been hurt by the son, right? The son had taken everything, squandered it, spent it all, sinned against his You know, the son is sinning against his father, he's sinning against God, he's he's at the lowest of the low, but the father has moved on and is open-hearted and compassionate, having pity and mercy on the one who's done him wrong, personally wrong. So when the son comes back and has come to his senses and comes to the end of himself, he runs to him, meets him in the middle, reconciles with him and takes it even farther, restoring him to the status of son of you know the heir apparent I mean let's party together you have the robe you have the ring goes above and beyond the call of duty this is reconciliation and I think this is something that Christians sacrifice when they sit in a state of hard-heartedness against someone you got to generally forgive them to where you have pity on them, and then when they're ready to repent, there's beautiful reconciliation, and I don't want you to miss your reconciliation moment, if the Lord is going to give that to you, I want you to be ready for it, just like the father was for his son, it's worth it, and I think we argue ourselves out of thinking that reconciliation could ever really happen, don't we? Isn't it easy to convince ourselves, look, that person's gone so far and done me wrong in such a harsh way, the relationship will never be put back together again. Well, guess what? That's not the story of the Bible. We were not beyond God's grace, and God reconciled us to himself. And in the same way, we need to live out that gospel story with the relationships around us. Amen? It's a hard, hard thing to think through, but it's one of the most personal issues that a Christian faces this is where the rubber meets the road this is the big deal issue in most of our lives as Christians as we live our lives throughout our lifetime will we be reconciled to people or not and the book of Philemon is dedicated to this issue again I'm opposing what I think Philemon teaches us, it's never an option to withhold forgiveness. Paul is not giving Philemon the option whatsoever to withhold forgiveness from a slave that left his household, fled him, committing two capital crimes, leaving out from under Philemon, Onesimus did, and also probably stealing from him crimes that In the Roman Empire economy, warranted execution potentially. And yet Paul is saying you need to be softening your heart with the gospel so that you're ready to embrace not just someone who stole from you and left you, but someone who is now a Christian who is ready to reconcile with you on a personal level. You need to be ready for that. Alright, just to review, uh, again, who are the players here? You have Paul, he's in Roman imprisonment, he's under house arrest, he's there for a couple of years, he's writing what are called the prison epistles of the New Testament, Philemon is one of them. Uh, the Roman Empire, um, and specifically the, at, the, at its epicenter is Rome, and that is the New York City of the Roman Empire. It's a lot of hustle and bustle, a lot of commerce, a lot of people. It's a place where a lot of slaves would flee to for anonymity to blend into the crowd. You had slave hunters, bounty hunters who would come after fleeing slaves to turn them back in. And so Onesimus is one of those slaves who has fled Colossae a thousand miles away to go into Rome and blend. And he probably comes to the end end of himself, much like the prodigal son, spends his money, doesn't know what to do. And he remembers a man by the name of Paul who had influenced his master so deeply, on the deepest level. And that is the Apostle Paul. And Paul somehow and Onesimus connect. And Onesimus comes and he comes under the refuge of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul leads Onesimus to Christ. He was an unbeliever. He was a slave under the house of Philemon. And then he goes a thousand miles away and in the providence of God, this incredible gospel story connects up with Paul, the one who had led Philemon to Christ seven years prior and now the slave is coming of Philemon to be led to Christ by Paul and ironically he leaves this slavehood and becomes a slave of Christ in the city of Rome. Just like all of us as Christians, we're slaves of Christ and where he wanted to get out from serving Philemon, now he's desperate to stay with Paul and serve him in that house arrest, um, serving his, his new prisoner friend, Paul. And so, as time goes on and as Paul mentors Onesimus, we can infer from the story here reading Philemon, as he mentors Onesimus, Onesimus scratches his head one day and says, you know, I I did Philemon wrong. The more I learn about what I did, I stole, I broke a Ten Commandment, I'm breaking the law of Christ, I I left him, and I need to make this right. Uh, You know, obviously, the gospel was softening Onesimus' heart, and he goes back with the care of Tychicus. We're going to connect the dots here a little bit, but a man named Tychicus is the faithful carrier of two New Testament letters, the book of Colossians, which Paul writes to the church at Colossae, which meets at the home of Philemon. So he's sending that letter back with Tychicus and also this personal letter that we have before us, 25 verses long, and that is the little letter of Philemon, which is explaining Onesimus's story. You know what I love? I love this little phrase from Martin Luther, the reformer. He said, Aren't we all Onesimuses as Christians? Aren't we all Onesimuses? Aren't we all those who are just standing helplessly before a holy God saying, God, forgive me by your grace. I'm a slave to sin and I need to be reconciled to you by your grace. We're all Onesimuses. If you look at some of the details here, i got to just pick up on this. Look over in Colossians, just to fill in the gaps. Um, Colossians, chapter 4. you got got some, some interesting overlap between Philemon and Colossians, because Colossians is the big book that's going to the whole church, and Philemon is the little book that's going to the issue between Philemon and Onesimus. Whether the whole church got to hear and read it all, Or not, we don't know. Probably the whole church heard it in detail, but they for sure felt the effects of the letter as it came. But just look at verse 7. I mean, this just shows again in chapter 4 of Colossians, you have the players that are going back. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. Paul is saying, look, I'm sending Tychicus to you, and I want you to be updated with what's going on with me in rome in roman imprisonment and i'm communicating back to you the small house church under philemon that's the church at colossi it says he is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the lord i have sent him to you this is tichicus i have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts So they don't know Tychicus yet, but he's the one carrying the letters back. And then verse 9, and with him, I just love this, Onesimus. They know who Onesimus is, right? He was the slave. He was the unbeliever. With him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Then Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And those two are mentioned as well in Philemon but look at verse 12 Epaphras verse 12 chapter 4 Epaphras who is one of you a servant of Christ Jesus greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature fully assured in all the will of God and then skip down to verse 17 and say to Archippus See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. The reason I bring up Epaphras and Archippus is simply this. Epaphras is known as, you know, scholars study Colossians, and as you can infer, he's the pastor. He's the the one set apart in the house of Philemon, shepherding the flock in Colossae. But Epaphras at this point is visiting Paul also under his house arrest circumstances. So Epaphras is there as the local church pastor, sending his greetings back through Tychicus. Onesimus is traveling with him, and they're going back with those letters. And the one who's probably standing in Epaphras' place, ministering the flock, preaching the word, shepherding the flock, is Archippus, who perhaps is the son of Philemon in the household. And we pick up on that in verse two, I think, from the book of Philemon. So it's all sort of wrapped together between the two letters. And I just want you to sort of catch on to the moment. Because you've got Philemon, and he is really, really hearing from Paul that he needs to forgive Onesimus... And his son is probably the acting minister in the household at that time. And you've got accountability from the local church pastor, Epaphras, who's sending his greetings with Brother Onesimus now, who's one of us, who's coming back. And so there's a lot of pathos, there's a lot of uh, ethos, there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of uh, sort of heartfelt, this is your moment, Philemon, to respond the right way that's going on between these two letters. All right, back to the book of philemon and it brings us to maybe a nice segue for me to ask a pastoral question philemon has to forgive onesimus and it comes from a massive i'm going to use a, a kind of a big word i mean just whatever a paradigmatic shift a paradigm shift a massive Reset button in terms of how you think about somebody shift. Do you see what I'm saying? The gospel it it always begs the question for the believer. Do you believe, as a Christian, that people can change? I'm asking you. Do you believe, in your heart of hearts, that people can change? The person who steals, the person who embezzles, the person who's immoral, the person who's looking at bad stuff online, the person who's done bad things, the person who's been abusive, the person who's been an alcoholic, the person who's done this, the person who's angry. Do you believe that Jesus is sovereign and powerful enough to change somebody? Onesimus had committed two crimes in that context socially that are worthy of the death penalty. And Philemon is called upon to change his thinking about that person, not only to say, okay, I'm not going to press charges, but to say, I'm going to embrace you as a brother in Christ. You're one of me now. That's the challenge. And my challenge to you is you think through your reconciliation issue, the thing that God has going on in your life, are you willing to think differently about people? Because that's where the general forgiveness begins. Lord, give me the grace to think differently about that person that hurt me so deeply or is hurting me so deeply right now. Help me to love that person. Help me to pray for that person. Help me to change in the way I think about that person. Because that process could be the setup for when that person comes to you and says, will you forgive me? Or when that person cracks the door that everything opens up. That's what Paul is doing for brother Philemon here, and he loved Philemon. How do we know Paul loved Philemon? He really loved Philemon, really respected Philemon. We learn about him in these verses. Remember, Paul, he, he wasn't looking down on people. He remembered what he was. Did Paul change? Religious Pharisee, Arrogant Christian persecutor, dragging families out of their homes, putting them in prison, countenancing um, execution of, of Christians like Stephen, standing there as he was being stoned. Arrogant, proud, transformed, lover of Jesus, father in the faith, writes most of the New Testament scripture, um, lover of souls, prisoner for Christ. That's a pretty massive transition there, right? That's paradigmatic shifts that are going on in how we think about somebody. Um, number two, you've got Onesimus. He's a thief. He's a capital offender. He's bitter. He's, a, he's running away. He's a runaway. Uh, he's a user. He's a liar. Okay, he's, he's a brother in Christ. He's a disciple of Paul. He's mentored by him. He's now one of the church. He's a trusted brother in the home. Um, he's one to be received back and forgiven the gospel works It's pretty dramatic stuff number three philemon wealthy business man um you know probably trusted in wealth and riches and um, professional skill uh he owns slaves we don't know if he was abusive or not but you know he's sort of part of the muckety-muck probably trusting in that um and then becomes key influencer in the church key example to people in the body of Christ um, major servant hosting the local church at Colossae willing to take the hits and the risk of of public ministry even if it's privately meeting in the home you could go to prison for that you could be killed for that sacrificial servant one who Paul is trusting that when Onesimus walks through the door that he will immediately forgive and embrace that's who Philemon is that's what the gospel does for people So, Onesimus, I want to just look at, I want to look at Onesimus, but I want to look at him next week. This week we're going to look at Philemon. We're actually going to jump over a point and bring it back up next week, if you have your outline in front of you. But this week we're looking at Philemon, because guess what? Onesimus isn't even brought up in the letter until verse 10 Paul is doing major work in the first seven verses or so to grease the skids for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. In fact... The forgiveness isn't even explicitly directed till later on in the letter. It's sort of left open for Philemon's heart to open up to what Paul is saying. And it's more powerful because this is not command-oriented. It's not you-gotta-forgive-oriented. It's more Paul as a friend shepherding Philemon, building Philemon up in his spiritual victories to say, listen, because of who you are in Christ, you have to see... Onesimus now in a different way I want to show you how he does this pick up at verse 4 we kind of covered some of this last time but I want us to to look again at it this time again it's never an option to withhold forgiveness because God gives believers new identities Um, Philemon and then the second one we're going to look at um, next week again is Onesimus but Philemon his before and his after we talked about um, historically but I want to just point out who this is guy is, who Philemon is in verses 4 through 7. This is Paul's heart for the church, but in particular for Philemon. Look at verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Stop there. Uh, Paul was a prayer warrior. What was he doing under house arrest Well, he was writing letters? He was also praying a whole lot. Um, A lot of um, people, when they become elderly and they say, I can't serve anymore, um, miss the great opportunity to pray. I remember being a young pastor and showing up to a shut-in, a lady who couldn't leave her home really very regularly. Now she would bring out little pieces of paper, you know, sort of bundled together that where she had just labored through prayer, praying specific prayer requests about my life. And I didn't hardly even know the lady. But it's just a ministry and a lifestyle of praying for people. And that's what Paul was up to. He was praying for people in churches all across the Mediterranean area praying specifically in particular for this church and on behalf of Philemon. He saw Philemon as a very significant person in this church. I thank my God. Thank is the word Eucharist. It's a worship word, and he, he, he says, I thank my God, which is like the psalmist. He's very, very vertical in his prayer life. I'm worshiping God. Why? When I remember you, Philemon, as I think about the Lord, and I think about you, worship happens in my heart, and I'm doing it Meditatively, ongoingly. Why? Verse 5. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Um, Two things that he's lauding here. Hey, Philemon, when I think of you, two things come to mind. Faith and love. you got faith in God, faith in Jesus Christ, and you got a loving heart towards God and towards all the saints. That's what he's saying. You've got this vertical side to you, this component, this element of worship where you, you believe in God. You're a faithful lay business person who believes in God. You've got strong faith in Christ and you've got strong love toward God. And that bubbles over on all the saints at the church. That's, that's what he's praying through. And as he talk, as Paul's talking about praying and what he's doing, he's really building Philemon up. Do you see that? He's really not talking about how great his prayer life is. He's building Philemon up. And he's using his testimony of praying for Philemon as a way to build him up spiritually, to edify him. Look at that little phrase of the universe verse 5, all the saints. You think that was deliberate? All the saints. In Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. All the saints. Barbarian, Scythian, we're all one in Christ, all the saints. He's like, Philemon, I, I'm just so happy how you spiritually grow and how you love everybody, even someone like Onesimus, who's probably standing right there as he's reading this letter. Verse six, and I pray, it's inserted there, but, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. This is Paul's prayer, and this is a repeated theme throughout New Testament introductions of Paul. He, he continually was praying a prayer like this for people, and this is what we should pray for each other in general. Look at this. He's praying that the sharing of your faith may become effective. First of all, that word sharing, just to open that up, we will open up what Paul's praying about. The word sharing is the same word for koinonia, fellowship. And it's the idea that Paul is saying of Philemon that Philemon, yeah, he, I'm sure he was a, a teacher or he shared God's word. But really this is talking specifically about the way that Philemon lived in front of the body of Christ made the Christian faith real to people. That's what he's saying. I'm praying about this. I'm I'm extolling the Lord over the fact that you, Philemon, live the Christian life. You fellowship out loud in front of people. You live who you are in Christ among people in a way that makes Christianity effective. The word effective there is the idea of, of gaining convictions. It's an energy word. It's, it's the word energo. It's the idea that you energize the Christian life for people by the way that you live it. Have you ever met somebody like that? I have. I mean, there are few and far between, but it's someone who's living the gospel in front of you, and a lot of times you don't even know if you're doing this in front of other people that look up to you, but the way that you make decisions about your life, the way that you um, live and pray and, and, and give and do things... It impacts people. It energizes people's convictions. Look at this. Again, in verse 6, that your faith may become effective or energized for the full knowledge of every good thing. Full knowledge, epignosis, it's the idea that it's, it's, you're having an influence spiritually in people's lives that are drilling down gospel convictions in people's hearts. What would that look like? Well, it's when when Philemon for instance forgives Onesimus and we don't know exactly how this plays out but when Philemon looks up from this letter with tears streaking down his face and he looks at Onesimus and he, and he runs to him like the father to the prodigal and says Onesimus you're a brother in Christ this is amazing I, I'm thinking about you so differently than before I've missed you I love you and, and, and all is forgiven if and when Philemon lives that gospel story out, that's going to have a massive splash effect on the house church. The people watching that moment will never be the same. It's a magnanimous gesture of grace lived out in front of people. And you know what that does? It makes people go, okay, yeah, Jesus is real. Jesus really is God. Wow, I really am forgiven of all my sins. This is heaven on earth. Wow, wow, wow. Hey, when that scenario happened in this household or this other situation, that person got beaten, that person got taken to prison, that person got executed. This is different than that. That's what it means to live out the gospel in front of other people. And that's what Paul is praying about. And he's saying, these are the every good thing that is in us for Christ. All of the gospel realities are on display. Philemon, by the way, you live. Verse 7. For I have derived much joy, that word joy is grace, it's caress. it's the idea of of I have experienced gospel joy and comfort, parakaleo, encouragement from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Word refresh, I said this last week, it's the idea of an army coming back from the battlefield and having physical and, and emotional nourishment put back into them. It's the idea of that kind of rest and recovery. You ever experience that by being around other people, other believers, where they just put you at rest, where you have joy in your hearts, where someone helps counsel you through some guilt and you just feel refreshed. You feel the burdens falling off. That's what this word is here, being refreshed. The saints, Paul is saying, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed spiritually. That's what's going on with Philemon's ministry. You think he's going to do the right thing? I think so. And again, we're going to skip point B here in the outline. We'll come back to Onesimus next week. Let's skip ahead because I want to show you something. Paul is very much trying to set this, set the conditions for a total redemption story. Skip down to verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Stop there. This is point two in our outline. Point one is um, we're, we're never allowed to withhold forgiveness. We're not allowed to do that because God gives us new identities. He gave Philemon a new identity. gave Onesimus a new identity. Um, now we come to point two. And we can't withhold forgiveness because God refashions hearts to love. And I, I made this point out of the phrase in verse 9. It's a beautiful little phrase. Look at verse 9. Yet for love's sake. Why should Philemon, why must Philemon forgive? Because he's been reinvented to love people. When you're given a new nature, the Holy Spirit, it says according to Romans five five. Um, sheds love abroad in our hearts before you're a Christian it's hard to love it's impossible to love in a God glorifying way but when you become a Christian you have the fruit of the spirit which is love and Paul is appealing to that look at verse 8 he says accordingly I'm I'm bold enough in Christ to command you Paul isn't afraid to command if you read any of the New Testament, you see him throw it down from time to time, right? He says, I'm coming with spiritual weaponry to 2 Corinthians, to the Corinthians at, uh, at that time. He's willing to go gloves off. I'm going to go mano a mano and confront you. He confronted Peter to the face in Galatians. So, or it's referenced in Galatians. But so here, it's not that scenario. He's just influencing Philemon. He says, Accordingly. Look, you've refreshed the saints, and accordingly, in other words, I want you to do the same thing with Onesimus, and I I could command you to do this, but I'm not going to. Now, I think the reason Paul's not commanding Philemon to forgive here is because he doesn't want Philemon to suddenly get in the flesh and think about his rights. Hey, you have your rights as an apostle, I have my rights as a slave owner who was wronged. So he doesn't want him to go there. Don't think that way. Don't think superficially. Think spiritually. Keep your heart soft. That's what he's doing. He says, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. So point A under point two here, Paul is circumventing the potential for insubordination. He's trying to work around the temptation for Philemon to say, you know, look, I'm I'm not going to obey you, Paul. He doesn't want... Philemon to cling to legal rights. So, for love's sake, um, there's four different bases that Paul is working from here to, to soften Philemon's heart. Just look through this with me in verse 9. It says, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, first of all, am an old man. So, it, Paul sort of puts things back on himself. I mean, think about that. Paul's saying, Look, you know, look, Philemon, one of the main reasons I want you to forgive Onesimus is I'm old I'm getting old now Paul's probably 60 at this time and we don't know what you know ancient lifespan was back then but it was probably shorter than we have now but he was also beaten up a lot so he looked old he, he felt old he was pummeled in prison and he was also older than Philemon spiritually just I'm the aged elder apostle here just I'm old do this Philemon that's number one. Number two, he's, he, goes, he appeals to his status and now a prisoner. He mentions being imprisoned a couple times, like some three times through this text. I'm a prisoner also for Christ. I'm here trying to glorify God as a prisoner. Jesus has me here. I'm captured by him and his will for his glory. And then thirdly, he points to the relationship that he has with Onesimus now. He says, I appeal. That's Again, it's an appeal to you, my child, for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Again, Paul's saying, listen, keep your heart soft. I'm not coming with command pressure here. I'm just saying, look, I led Onesimus to Christ. I love Onesimus. He's like a son to me now. And I also led, you know, by implication, I led you to Christ, Philemon. And we sort of see that um, in the text as well. Verse 19 says, you owe me even your own self. Paul no doubt led Philemon to Christ also. So they had that mutual bond together. Paul is a spiritual father to Onesimus and Philemon. They have that bond in the Lord. So he's appealing to them. I just want to pick up on a couple theme words as we sort of draw this to a close. A couple key words in all of this. I got to read down to it in uh, verse, to verse 12 Again, look at, look, at verse, look at verse 10, and we're going to kind of race down to 12. He says, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Verse 11, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Look at verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So I want to pick up on a few words. First of all, three theme words connect the dots to what Paul is doing with Philemon. The first word is love. It's the word ag- agape. Self-sacrificial love. This word is used over and over by Paul. You see it in verse 5. He's commending him for his love. You see it in verse 7. He's commending Philemon for having love. And he he says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because you are a self-sacrificial servant. That's theme number one. Theme number two. Theme number two is the word hearts. Now the word hearts here, you'll see it in verse 7. You know, because you've refreshed the hearts of the saints, verse 7. And then you see it again in verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. You see that word? That's not the word cardia, where we get, you know, cardio or cardiac. Um, It's not talking about the organ of the heart here. It's the Greek word splagnos, and that is um, used in... um, medical terms, um, as the intestines or, or your guts. And it's really pointing to your emotions or your bowels, what you feel in your stomach, you know, butterflies in your stomach. Uh, that used um, positively, Paul is saying, listen, Philemon, you have cared about the body of Christ and you've cared about their hearts. You've cared about how people have felt. And so when Paul says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart, He's saying, I'm sending someone back to you that I feel deeply about. I'm sending a piece of me back to you. Thirdly, the word refreshed. The word refreshed in verse 7. Word refreshed is a key word. Again, this is the word about, that, that speaks of Reconciliation. It speaks of being made whole again. Remember, Philemon had refreshed the saints. He had had made them feel whole again. Strong, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Now, using these words, I want to tie it together with jumping towards the end of the, the epistle here. Look at verse 20. Paul says this to Philemon. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my... Heart in Christ. In essence, Paul's saying this. You're a man, Philemon, who's been made to love self sacrificially. You have a testimony of loving people, refreshing the body of Christ, reconciling people before God, and you care about people's feelings and emotions and so as I'm sending you my very own heart as I'm sending Onesimus to you make this happen again let me finish by asking you this think in your mind's eye what is your reconciliation situation that God has put before you what is it what is it you know you've got something that the Lord is working on you in your life about And I don't want you to miss the moment of being reconciled. Open your heart. Pray about it in your heart that God will soften your heart to be ready to reconcile with someone who is unreconciled to you that you need to forgive. We can't withhold forgiveness. We need to be like Philemon. We need to be those who are ready to refresh the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. God, I thank you for these tests that we go through in our lifetime. Lord, I pray that we would pass the test and we would forgive people. We thank you for the testimony of Christ. He forgave us. We are like those who were literally driving the nails into Christ's hands when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what what they do. Lord, our sin was what put you on the cross. And we thank you that you have forgiven us. And I pray that you would let us be wise and ready to forgive. Lord, let us not hold people's sins against them. We love you, God. We thank you for the reconciliation of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stay seated.